0: Welcome back to the Brown Taboo Project. This is our little COVID mini-series where we're um, brushing through a bunch of topics, organizations, and uh, just seeing how lots of folks are doing. And so I'm Tanya. I'm Shreya,
1: And this is Sri coming in from Denver, Colorado. Um, so we wanted to share two awesome guests that we have today from Manavi Inc. Um, And we've had the pleasure of working with Manavi before for some of our in-person workshops. And they were actually able to host us in September of last year, where we presented a five series workshops over two days, and we we got the chance to get to know them. And this is the first time that we've had them on our podcast. So we'd like to introduce Navneet Bala as well as Razia Mir. Navneet, would you like
2: to introduce yourself and Manavi? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having us today. We really appreciate it. And we loved working with you guys before and looking forward to doing that more in the future. Um, so, Manavi is the very first South Asian women's rights organization founded in the country uh, back in 1985. So, for the past 35 years, Manavi has been providing culturally specific and linguistically appropriate support services for South Asian survivors of gender-based violence. Um, So we have a range of services, including counseling, advocacy. We have a 24-hour hotline. Um, One of the most valuable services that we provide is Shiana, our transitional home, which um, uh, Razia will speak to and speak about a little bit more later. Um, And we, I think the, the... The mission really is to ensure that we end all forms of gender-based violence in the South Asian community. So we look at the immediate needs of survivors on a day-to-day basis, but also working towards the long-term vision of ending gender-based violence in South Asian communities long-term.
1: Okay, that's amazing to hear. And, and truly, I mean, I think the, the existence of Ashiana, in particular the Safe House, I think that was a large reason of, especially in terms of COVID and thinking through how coronavirus has been impacting you all. Razia, can you share a little bit about your role and um, a little bit more about Ashiana and the Safe House, the work you sure. do? Um, I've been uh,
3: involved with Ashiana uh, for the last 15 years. I'm going to give a little bit of background about the the transitional home. Yes, please do. Uh, it started uh, in 1997, and it's a it's a shared communal living. It's, it has three bedrooms and nine beds, and living, kitchen, sitting room, and two and a half bathrooms. The woman will share the the rooms like three beds or uh, one bed and a bunk bed. A woman with a child gets preference if there is availability. So the woman who uh, who moved to Asiana, they are looking for uh, long-term uh, housing so that they can get back on their feet. This is not a shelter. It's not for thir- it's not for thirty days. It's not an emergency shelter. It's long-term. Now, the uh, the woman who come to ASHANA, the one who really don't have any other options. Sometimes they do come from a shelter or out of state, even out of country sometimes. Mm -hmm. The woman who will come to Asiana, they're either not working or their immigration is not in place. Um, So they are given that opportunity to uh, get uh, life skills and work. We have them to work with their cases. So while they are at Asiana, um we provide them with legal clinics, legal referrals. Uh, we work very closely with legal services and other lawyers to provide for them to take on their cases. Mm-hmm. We provide supportive counseling, peer, and professional. We provide. We have an economic empowerment that's in place, so uh, we help women with the ESL. We have a, a staff member who is part of the. Ashina team who does economic empowerment and uh, we assist them with any kind of job skills that they need mm-hmm. they even go to college while they're at Ashyana. So the Ashina is quite different from other transitional programs it's not inter- independent unit it's a shared facility mm-hmm. while the women stay at Ashyana, they um, they do not pay for anything they do not pay for food Utilities or red. There's a reason for that because most of them are not working right away, mm-hmm. and even when they get a job, it, it doesn't. Um, they can't. Um, they don't earn enough right away, so we usually have to wait for them to earn money, and they have to they save. So we do all of the above, you know, the providing of provisions and everything.
4: Mm-hmm. We
3: have a, a group of volunteers who have been with Manavi for a long time. And they do the grocery shopping. They help women with any kind of um, support. These are the w- volunteers who have the DVRT training. Mm-hmm. They help with outings. They uh, visit the woman and you know uh, provide them with one-on-one support as well. So Ashana is basically 24/7 that we are available. This this has been happening for. 14 years, and now with the COVID, things have changed somewhat. Mm, okay. Tell us about that. So the, the, there, there are quite a few challenges right now. Um, first of all, to get the women, to get the residents to understand the uh, COVID, what is COVID. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's very overwhelming for them because now they have been cut off from the staff one-on-one we usually meet them a lot we go to the house so everything is virtual it's on on the we have to call them Mm -hmm. Uh, we have to keep uh uh, check in with them and to see and you know to work with them on the on the hygiene part the safety planning is always going on Mm a lot of them can't work right now because of the job situation but then you know that is not a big concern uh because we are providing them with the groceries and you know if they need anything else mm-hmm.
1: and the housing um, and support yeah,
3: yeah yeah and uh you know there is there's a lot of isolation for them because they're not seeing people they they we don't you know with with the with the with the corona i mean going to friends sleepovers that's come to a halt hmm. And that is obviously very challenging because, you know, even though it's a communal living and they look out for each each other, but they are feeling isolated and lonely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for that, that, we are providing them with support groups virtually and one-on-one counseling and uh, keeping a close eye on their their mental state Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not easy for them to say, well, they're depressed. So we really have to work with them on that. That's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge. You know, they are. uh, You know, we we can't we can't keep a check on them at night. So we have to explain to them about the curfew out there. You know why they have to be at home. Uh, What is it that they can do? They can go for walk, but you know how is it that they have to protect themselves? Uh, That's constant. That's a constant battle. Uh, The woman there's a woman with a child. She they can't go to preschool. So everything mm-hmm. is online. So um, one of the, we have four team members on the Ashiana team and they work with her. Um, um, you know, they, they work with her to provide him, you know, he's, he's four years old, but to guide the mom on how to do the, you know, sessions with the little kid. Yeah, um, absolutely. Your woman who is working, there is a constant challenge on, you know, when she comes from outside keep a check in her you know is she washing her hands Is she wearing a mask and that things are still not clear in the clear so they have to continue to do that right it, and I feel like- um, and, so you know the there's also a lot of you know conflicts among the residents because mm-hmm. they put up in the house hmm Right. And how
1: many, I'm curious about in general, how much traffic you all see, um, especially in terms of, as you were saying, that's more so of a long-term residency. So out of the nine beds are all nine typically filled. Or are you seeing that there is more demand for services at this time than what you've seen in general over the past 15 years for you all? Right. And
0: I, I'm also curious to know, like, um, you know, long-term, like how long do, People you typically stay at Ashiana, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and you know, is it different now than before?
3: Right. Uh, well, it depends from case to case. Some women stay up to six months, but most of them uh, stay up to eighteen months plus eighteen because of their immigration situation. Okay. They're waiting yeah. for the green card, or they did they not get a job that they they that would sustain them once they move. Sure. And also, you know, there if there is divorce pending. So we work with them if they need more time. Mm -hmm. But there is no contract sign that, you know, okay, you're moving here, you stay for 18 months or two years. So we assess the the situation every few months. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has always been the case because our women who are uh, coming to our program, most of them have immigration, Uh, you know, problems they do not have the green card or they're doing Uh, bava so that's going to take a few months before they can work Mm -hmm. so they do that's why they need usually um, long-term housing Um, what was the other question siri uh, your question
1: yeah just curious in terms of I mean it was it's excellent to hear a little bit about how Ashiana normally runs and we're curious to hear about if in terms of the current circumstances there have been any differences in terms of for example um out of the nine resi- out of the nine beds that are available if more of those have been filled than what you typically see or if people are staying longer because of the pandemic and you know not necessarily having the ability to wrap up and move on as they normally would.
3: Right. Right. So like, you know, there's a, there's a resident who's in the process of moving because of the, the situation, there's a delay. We, we usually have a waiting list. So the couple of women who need to move in, mm-hmm. they have a few more months before they will come to us. Okay. And we would work with the woman. If she can't come to our program, Look for some other housing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can just, you know, bring women in. Um, uh, we do have like we have six residents now. Okay, right? six As, out of nine beds. Uh, yeah, uh, right now. So the women who are waiting, if they they need, if they had to vacate their home because they are on the waiting list, we will be able to take them.
4: Mm-hmm. That's good most, to know. A lot, of the woman,
3: lot of the women, lot of the women would go to the shelter Right now, a lot of women are not even going to the shelter because they're not wanting to take that step yet. Right, right. Right. So um, then we have the other part of the housing. Women who have uh, citizen children, um, they cannot get rental assistance. So we work with them on that too, Hmm. Um, you know, for them to to get that resource. But that takes time. Yeah. the, you know, we have to be very careful about who can come to ashana because we don't have 24-7 staff available. there like right, other programs, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. right? It's an independent living. The women need to we work, to, work with them for them to uh, make their decisions. When they can come and go, it's up to them. There's no curfew. You know, so it's very, very independent. They are not supervised you know, like they would be supervised in a shelter. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
3: Right? I mean, that's... Supervised. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of working with them on being independent is one of the biggest uh, assets that we have with this mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. But as going back to the challenges that we are having, I mean, you know, uh, some of our volunteers cannot do the groceries, so we are always looking into other resources so that we can provide them. With doses, the doses get delivered to them, right. even online. So that's around the clock. Um, resources being provided and we make sure they have the necessary food. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. There are two uh, Ashana team members who are working around the clock to make sure that they're getting the food.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's incredible to hear about how yeah. services need to be shifted potentially during this time. But I'm curious. So, Navneet, do you all you all run a um, call in a, a hotline as well? Is that correct, or is it mostly just the focus on Ashiana?
2: Yes, yes. So we do have a 24-hour hotline, um, and that's uh, again a valuable service that we provide. So survivors can reach Manavi at any time. Um, of course, during the day we have our staff and advocates that take the calls and assist, and we are very, very lucky. And I'm so extremely thankful to our volunteers who staff the hotline. So at about 6 p.m. every day, uh, we our calls basically switch to hotline, and then they are mm-hmm. staffed by our dedicated volunteers that we've had for um, years. Um, so we get calls. You know, just the other day, I think we um, it was fascinating because we did a Zoom call, okay. and when finish the panel at the end of that panel that very night. And I happened to be uh, on the hotline that evening. Usually it's rotation at 1130. uh, We happened to get a call and uh, it was, you know, from a, from a survivor. And they said that they became aware about Monovi services uh, as a result of hearing about it on on Zoom or on a panel. And then they talked to their friends. Um, So, you know, I think right now um, during this pandemic, remote outreach mm-hmm. is so vital and so important. We are seeing that, and this is across the board with most um, DB agencies actually, we're seeing that although the number of calls um, isn't as high and the reason is obvious is because survivors are trapped in their homes. Mm -hmm. The perpetrator and their spouses or abusers are constantly there. So they're trapped Mm -hmm. and then unable to make calls. Um, But they are reaching out in other ways. Like we've had people reach out to us through Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, Facebook Mm -hmm. at unconventional times. Like I happened to check um, Manavi's social media at like, I think midnight on Saturday and there were messages Mm -hmm. um, at that time. So we are having people reach out to us um, hotline as well as during the day and use um, other means of communication and social media has been a very useful tool yeah and just for those who
5: are listening what is the hotline for Monavi?
2: so hotline is a 24-hour hotline where we have a number where anybody any survivor, anyone who feels that they are um, suffering in any way and they want to talk and they want a be advocate and all of our advocates on the on the hotline are um, trained. Um, they, they all have their 40-hour training. They're domestic violence uh, response team advocates. Um, and the hotline basically means if you feel at any time that you are suffering any form of abuse, and again, domestic violence isn't just physical abuse. This right, is a misconception. Right very often so just uh, it's um, you know verbal abuse emotional abuse financial abuse is a common thing a lot of Um, food insecurity is a big issue right now Um, and we are seeing that in this pandemic where basic things like groceries are something that are so fundamental um, survivors are sometimes reluctant to to report abuse or to leave because they Mm -hmm. feel that they may be safer in that abusive home where they know they have a roof over their head and they have groceries mm-hmm. um and being out there is potentially deadly for for you know is how they perceive it so what's the phone number how can folks get They're, in touch yeah. get access <laughs> number is 732-435-1414 and you can also reach us at manavi at monavi.org uh email and then we're also on facebook instagram twitter and you can reach out to us um all through any of those, those meetings. Yeah, yeah, great. And I we'll have those in the, sh- in the show
1: notes as well so folks can access that. But I am yeah. curious, I mean, in general, this there's, it's such a unique thing that you all do because of there's obviously so many different domestic violence and um, intimate partner violence organizations that exist across the US and across the world, but the South Asian focus, right? And that lens to it is such a unique one. So I'm curious about, I mean, it, especially in terms of both the hotline as well as the safe house, What does that look like when you're saying that you're providing, you know, culturally specific, linguistically adapted services? How does that differ from what any run-of-the-mill DV or IPV organization Mm -hmm. might provide?
3: Namni, do you want me to answer that? Sure. (laughs) So for the uh, Asiana part, right, Mm -hmm. the woman, as opposed to being at uh, uh, another shelter over here, they get their South Asian grocery. They can cook their own food. Um, you know, the there is no restrictions on that. That is one of the difference. And also yeah. the different languages that a lot of our staff speak and volunteer if they needed to talk, uh, uh, get counseling in their language, they're comfortable in that they would yeah. get that. Wow. And there's no restrictions on, you know, the you know, if they wanted to wear their own, um uh, you know the South Asian clothes and if they wanted that we would get it for them mm-hmm. so and yeah. the, the woman feel that, that being with us we have a better understanding of what they're going through right that it's not that it's in, it's in their mind because you know for them to be a, to move out of the, the DV situation and the marriage you know it's a big taboo and then and they uh, do not want to go back home, and they and they they feel that we understand that, as opposed to uh, you know other organizations that mm-hmm. we know that why they can't go back home mm-hmm. because of the stigma, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I think um, uh, you know what Navneet said was very um, something that not a lot of people maybe might understand right away that you said that domestic violence is not just physical right there's so many different kinds of um, abuse and um, uh, trauma that someone can suffer and you mentioned you know like food insecurity and finances and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so I think it's really important that you know as as folks are getting educated and stuff like that and I think you know and you know, working in the HIV world. And, you know, there's obviously an intersection of domestic violence there mm-hmm. too. And I'm no expert in it. But um, I think it's interesting because sometimes like the person who's being abused doesn't even realize they're being abused, right? Absolutely. Because they don't, um, they just don't have the knowledge that, oh, you know, this person's controlling my finances. That's a form of ab- abuse. And, and um, maybe I don't have to live this way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I was um, really curious. I know um, you all said uh, that, you know, your um, volunteers and your staff are trained, you know, they speak different languages. So that's a great thing to be able to provide. Um, I was curious if you had any idea off the top of your head, like how many languages your staff speak Mm -hmm. collectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also wanted to learn more about, um, I think you said it was the DVRT training. Mm -hmm. if I'm not, if I'm saying it correctly. (laughs) So I wanted to learn a little bit more about, um, you know, what your staff and your volunteers have to go through um, in order to work for Monobie. And also um, I just, you know, languages are cool. So. (laughs) (laughs) So And also for the people
5: who don't know about the Mm -hmm. terms and everything, if you could just spell out
2: what T-R-T-T, all the letters mean. and
0: what it comprises (laughs) of. Yeah.
5: (laughs) I myself don't know.
2: So DVRT is Domestic Violence Response Team, and DVRT training is mandated by the state. Um, so in New Jersey, basically, there's DVRT training. Then there's also SART, which is S-A-R-T, that's Sexual Assault Response Team training. So just to kind of spell that out as well, that domestic violence and sexual violence. Um, they, 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 you know, there is a distinction. Uh, MANAVI serves all survivors, and uh, we serve survivors that are subjected to a range, uh, you know, of abuse. That's domestic violence and sexual assault. But there is separate training for both. Um, so DVRT is a state mandated forty-hour training that all our staff and volunteers undergo. In addition because we are a culturally specific organization, we also have our staff and volunteers do um, an additional culturally specific training through the lens uh, of a culturally specific organization, which is also an additional. Um, We do like a weekend or so where we'll go through all the cultural nuances um, and what it's like to be a South Asian survivor of um, gender-based violence. And in terms of languages, Gosh, Rosie, <laughs> between well between your
3: volunteers and staff, I would yes. say about twenty languages.
2: Wow, easily, easily, wow. easily. Wow. like that's, that's amazing. Because volunteers speak a range, staff speak a range, mm-hmm. um, and we are very lucky in that way. That and is, thanks. that's
5: amazing.
2: Yeah, truly, that's incredible
5: and also to hear. Uh, we provide um,
3: in, uh, interpreting. Um, or other organizations.
1: Wow. Or, okay. Yeah.
3: You know, if, if the hospitals reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the the local police stations reach out to us. Mm-hmm. So we do that. You know, when they don't have access to that particular language, so we will do that.
2: That's amazing. That is to hear. such an
5: incredible resource. Yeah. I I yeah, wondered. I if,
2: oh, sorry. sorry go wanted- ahead. Literature As well, the materials that we mm-hmm. have, we actually have brochures in, in all the different languages as well. Mm. So yeah. the survivors have the materials in different languages, yeah. um, and they have the, the benefit of yeah. that as well.
1: And totally. even, even what you said about like being able to cook your food and not, you know, feel insecure about how that might smell or the tastes of that or like I'm thinking about right. with it currently being Ramadan and like breaking fast together or, you know, all of just those kind right. of nuances of like, I feel comfortable wearing a salwar in the house, whatever that might be. Absolutely. Um, I love yeah. that.
3: And, you know, some of the women are vegetarian. so mm-hmm. if they want to use separate utensils,
4: mm-hmm. there
3: is mm-hmm. no restriction yeah. on that as opposed to when they come from other shelters, you know, they're very frustrated or, you know, they will, you know, when they call us, they'll say, you know, We are finding this very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we work with them very closely when it comes to whatever their needs are. You know, with religion, too, there's no restrictions on that. Whoever wants to practice, what? Everyone respects each other's space with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. 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 And then when they come to Asiana, they always say, This is like another home. It's like we buy, it's it's like a second home for us mm -hmm. because the, atmosphere so, you know and the south Asian yeah, uh, women yeah. Here and yeah. There. and you know the staff are south asian we're talking to them in their language things they mm-hmm. they're comfortable
0: there is a sense of comfort um i was going to say i'm sure like You know, for for some folks, um, the idea of reaching out and getting help might be really daunting because you're like, this person doesn't speak my language. Mm -hmm. They may not understand the culture of where I'm coming from. There's so many different nuances, right? But maybe when they find you, they're like, wait, this is a South Asian organization. They they might speak my language. But Mm -hmm. at the very least, there are some cultural similarities, even if you don't speak the same Mm -hmm. language, where you can understand you know maybe a part of their struggle a little bit better right and i'm i'm sure that can make it a little bit um, you know uh, empower them a little bit more to to reach out and get help yeah. i
5: think a counterpoint oh, to would- that though is that unfortunately i think that could also oh, might Scare people because there's this notion that, like, oh, all South Asians know everybody knows each other, each other yeah, and they're <laughs> and like, no gossip and, and, and they're yeah, gonna know, yeah, uh,
0: you know what's
5: Like going the on auntie grapevine, yeah, exactly. yeah.
3: Exactly. absolutely. Exactly. And we that, that is always same. a challenge. And we right. spend a lot of time uh, talking to the woman because a lot of our work is over the phone. So we have to explain to them what is confidentiality and what do we mean when we say. We cannot share your information. Yeah.
1: What, do you, what do you mean? Confidentiality in the South Asian community? What are you talking about? I a novel like, concept. Is <laughs> yeah, and then you know, they're like,
3: No, there's no way. Sometimes it takes them four calls, yeah, or yeah. they will start opening up for sure, and they feel like, you know, and that's not easy because we are just a voice on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. And they have, yeah, you know, you know, they want to trust us, but how it's not easy. And a lot of the women cannot come to the office. We encourage them to come Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that they can meet with us and connect with us. Mm -hmm. Build that rapport and the trust. A lot of them cannot. And that takes a bit of time, you know, Um, because yes, they see. And then, and, and, you know, what a lot of, sometimes the community do find out that the woman is with us. Mm -hmm. They do find out sometimes the woman shares it later on. So that's very challenging for us to keep that, you know, in, in a in a very um, in a in a confidential uh, setup. And we constantly also tell women not to share the locality of the transitional home. Yeah, there's no sec- there's no
1: security system. There's, that's a major one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to keep the safe house safe, right? you yeah, have to keep it, That yeah. information secure. The like, they sure. want to
3: stay there, you know what is it they. you know, they are they comfortable in doing that? So they say, no, we don't want the families to know where we are. We don't want Mm -hmm. the husband to look for us. So they actually make the decisions. We don't tell them that, you know, you better do this and you better not do that. They tell Mm -hmm. us Mm
4: -hmm. that,
3: you know, this is what we wanted, even and being independent. No one is thinking you come home by nine o'clock. They can be out. They can sleep when they want to. You know, so... Mm -hmm. Quite an open setup, as well. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
3: I so was curious. I oh, was decided sorry. for them. Sorry, and the mother-in-law. So. No, no, that's fine. There's so much to share about.
0: us. Yeah, <laughs> you
3: know, I, I have to like Absolutely. control myself.
0: And we have a lot of <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah, um, I was curious, so I know um, you said a lot of the work is over the phone. I'm sure, especially now, because you can't readily meet people with social distancing and all of that. Um, and I know you do encourage folks normally to come to your office, but for example, if you have someone, you know, ex- for, from that fear of maybe being seen going into your office or interact, you know, very openly interacting with you. Um, do you have the ability or or do staff members, um, you know, can they meet someone at a Starbucks or something? You know, a more anonymous kind of place where it won't be obvious who you are?
3: Yes, absolutely. If they felt that they don't want to meet at the office, we can meet with them if they want us to meet them halfway as well somewhere. You know, yes, they have that choice. They decide that.
2: I think the only requirement would be that it has to be a confidential space. Yeah. That's really it. So, you know, a, a cafe would be tougher, but anywhere where there is confidentiality. So in the past, we've had situations where it's been a library, where there's a, a private room, and we've arranged for that. So any kind of public s- space where there is a safe space and a confidential space, uh, absolutely, we will go out of our way to uh, accommodate.
5: And does this present any sort of legal
2: challenges? Yeah, so not this so much, but we, we, there are a lot of layers um, on legal issues and without going into too much detail, but just to kind of give a sense of um, so we have a legal advocacy program and we so that's one of uh, uh, the bigger services that we also provide and we have legal clinics which means really that a survivor can have a free initial consultation over the phone with pro bono attorneys that we have but just to kind of uh, put it in context in real day-to-day life so so the listeners can relate to it we've had situations right now where Um, There's always been a reluctance to report, but now particularly what we're seeing is that we've had situations and cases where survivors will not only not report to the police, but even situations where the police are intervening because the injuries have been so severe Mm -hmm. and by law they're mandated to arrest and they will arrest. Mm -hmm. Survivors have actually um, pleaded and requested Please don't, don't. take yeah. action. Please don't um, arrest them. And, you know, this is, like I said, it just goes back to the, the reality. Um, and also in situations where they live in, um, base with their in-laws. If they live with their in-laws and they're... Let's they're, talk about that, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's, a, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, being a survivor. Your husband's an abuser. You're living with your in-laws who are also part of the abuse um, you're totally isolated, like Rosie was saying before, you're outnumbered, you are, don't have any network, any connections. And before the pandemic, if you were um, lucky enough to be able to, to go out to your place of worship or community center or grocery mm-hmm. stores, mm-hmm. you can't even do that now. Right. So, you know, it, it makes it that much harder. But then to make that choice of whether they report or not is very difficult. Yeah, because yeah. They're, they're stuck. You know, he's he's the one earning the money in, in certain situations. The abuser is the one who's there. Got the, um, power. Yeah. the power. Yeah, the power. Yeah. the power dynamic, yeah. which makes yeah. it very difficult. Yeah. So it, if
5: someone were. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, well I was just curious about you were saying Navneethe, earlier that like there the the calls have actually been down and and certainly I mean it's just intriguing to me because I think in terms of the global picture we're hearing some conflicting reports around um if you know kind of to this end of there is, there is an increase in domestic violence going on. And I have heard some stats and some hotlines reporting a huge increase in the number of calls. But it's interesting to hear you say that that actually hasn't been the case for Manavi. And I'm, I'm wondering in terms of like other peer organizations that you have chatted with or potentially if there is a specific cultural component about why the pattern might be different within the South Asian community right. versus what we're seeing kind of more globally.
2: It's actually the same state. So basically, um, statewide, so we're part of a statewide coalition, New Jersey Coalition um, to End Domestic Violence. So I get on a call with them every week. And there's like all mainstream organizations and culturally specific organizations. Across the board, the statewide agencies have reported that although we know domestic violence is on the increase and yes. the intensity, we're hearing yes. about yes. the severity, but that is not necessarily translating into calls. calls. And then calls. I actually, um, some of our sister agencies like uh, Sakhi, Raksha, Upnagar, across the country, mm-hmm. all of us were on a, on a call not long ago same thing across the board with them as well. Some of them said as much as like um, a thirty-five to forty percent drop. So there, everyone's seeing a drop in terms of the number. Um, now I think it's slightly, but it's um, but the intensity um, has been. You know, we're seeing that the cases we are seeing are much much worse. Yeah, amazing. Um, before
5: we close out, I was wondering, Navneet and Razia, if you have like. Any words for someone who's listening who might be in an abusive relationship or knows someone who's in an abusive relationship and they just don't know what to do right now? Like, what are some, adv- what's some advice you could give to them in this moment?
3: I, I would, what I would want the, what the people to hear the woman is that there is help out here. Reach out to the organizations. Reach out to us because at least we can um, tell them what their rights are. A lot of yes, the women yeah, don't yes. even know that, and it can all be done over the phone. They don't need to come in. Mm-hmm. They can pick a time. We can, uh, you know, get them a legal consult with a lawyer. A lot of the women don't even know that they have what what rights they say that they have. You know, if they're going to go for a divorce, mm-hmm. they can do some of their homework okay they can't leave it yet but we we actually plan long term with the woman as well you know because it's not not that easy just to get up and leave we plan with them what will be the next stage and after that so for them to even know a lot of them think they don't have any rights right at all you know like if you have you're married and your property was bought after the marriage Um, You know, so if she like, someone would say, "But you know what? I mean, I what about the house?" And you know, so we get them to speak to a lawyer so that they can understand, you know, what is it that they're entitled to. And it does make a big difference because then they can plan it out in their head.
1: Absolutely, the access, right? And that's so much education-based, right? To be able to empower people to know what their rights are and what they even have the ability to consider before you know you can actually make that change but to know what's out there yeah thanks
3: even that. from social services a lot of women who have uh, citizen children or they themselves are citizens and you know the income is very low you know the husband doesn't give the money there are ways to get around that they don't, mm-hmm. they don't they don't know so we try we help them with that too very basic stuff you know for food that they can get assistance you know, because not everybody's working out there and you know, being well provided for. So that's another component
5: mm-hmm. to be
3: knowing about their rights.
2: Totally. Nipneet, so, any advice? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> what Razia said. Um, we are here for you. If anyone listening um, is either themselves in an abusive relationship or knows someone else who maybe reach out, we are here to support you. We're here to help you. Also, I just want to point out. I know a lot of the time we make references to survivors being women. Um, obviously, that is not um, the case always. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we are very conscious of using the term survivor is because anyone can be a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no specific definition. There are no specific, um, you know, criteria that makes. Uh, any of us listening here right now or participating could be survivors. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to say uh, we serve men, we serve uh, women, we serve people who don't necessarily define themselves as male or female or um, anyone from the LGBTQI community. Um, we are an organization that is very inclusive and I want to reiterate that particularly because as a South Asian organization, um, that's not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we, I mean, we could do uh, a few hours just to talk about yes. how many South Asian DV agencies serve, um, you know, how many of us have data on serving um, South Asian survivors who are from the LGBTQI community. You know, that, that that's, that's a, sure. a topic. That, and I think that we don't have enough data there and, that's a reflection on us as a community that we are not that's doing well. it. Yep. We are not Absolutely. doing to reach out um, to those specific communities, which is why we don't have the, the numbers and the calls to show. Mm-hmm. So that's on us as a community. Yeah. Um, so just to say and get it out there that we need to do more uh, as a community, as agencies to reach out, but please know we are here for you equally. We're here for all of you. And we want to make sure that you feel supported. Um, And also as a practical, some practical advice would be safety planning. Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. If at
2: any point, uh, at any given moment, uh, you feel that you're in danger. Of course, when you have imminent danger, you should always call 911. But we always um, tell people that even though you may not feel safe in your home, find a space in your home, which may be safer. What that means is where there are no objects or things that can be thrown um, and you know that can be used. Mm-hmm. So always thinking practically, what is the one space which is more safe than mm-hmm. other areas and kind of retreating there thinking about your neighbors or people that you know who you can signal to. You know, we've had cases or situations, the classic ones are, if you're in danger, you can switch your light on and off and your neighbor will know to call the police. Um, in in the South Asian community, we've heard, um, I think there's are some of our sister agencies who use code words like, mm-hmm. you know, biryani or, or some certain <laughs> words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of yeah. a conversation with you, if you can't, Report the abuse directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to an ED the other day, which they said they use that term so that when they say that um, to a child, the child knows they need to alert the neighbor to call the police. Mm, wow, wow! Yeah, yeah. So I think talking about practical steps mm-hmm. for safety planning, where if you know you're going to be in danger, thinking of practical ways to lessen the severity right. of, of harm, yeah. and to be able to get someone on your behalf to report and the biggest one obviously is to make sure that you have all your documentation your mm-hmm. immigration papers your ident you know your identification mm-hmm. your bank details um your health records your insurance all your documents your kids birth certificates everything together so you are in possession of that if at any time you do need to leave and a bag if you have to pack a bag obviously i just want to clarify that all these things are on a case by case basis and the survivor is the best person to judge their safety. By Mm -hmm. packing a bag, you're going to alert the abuser. You do not do that. Right. Right. And you got to take it slow and kind of
1: build Mm -hmm. it up over time often. In your
2: circumstances, um, you know, we always say that we are a survivor centered uh, agency. We take a survivor centered approach, which means the survivor knows their situation best. Um, and, and we are guided by that and simply here to support you all the way.
5: Mm-hmm. There you go. Amazing. That was and, wonderful. Thank you. And once again, that hotline is 732-435-1414, correct? Correct. correct.
4: Amazing. Right. <laughs> That's where you can reach
5: the wonderful Manavi Hotline volunteers. And with that, I think we're going to start closing out. Once again, for all of you listening, please let us know your thoughts, your suggestions, your comments, your questions for either us or for Manavi um, or anything connected to abusive relationships. If you don't know what to do, just ask someone that is oftentimes a a good first start Mm -hmm. uh you can find us on facebook and instagram at south asian smh you can email us south asian sexual health at gmail.com and we will be back with more brown taboo project quarantine edition episodes (laughs) um, throughout the following weeks and until then we'll see you next time
1: yes Thank, thank, you thank you all so much. much for joining us today. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, it. You all the Nathan work you do.
5: Yes. Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you so much. work you do. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
4: Absolutely.
5: Bring it back. You are listening to the Madam Gandhi Voices EP. Elevating and celebrating